Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Amen. Amen. Good morning again. I am excited to be here with you. I'm excited to celebrate together. We've got all kinds of things to celebrate this week, not the least of which is the sunshine. Excited about that. Uh, I briefly want to mention that uh, many of you know VBS was this week. Uh, that was absolutely a thing worth celebrating. Uh, we had, uh, I actually was thinking about it, I think, I think every generation of age was in this building from like zero to 10 all the way up to people older than 20. So there was, there was, there was a range of ages uh, this week, uh, loving kids, uh, talking about uh, God's goodness in the midst of any circumstance. Um, and I know I've been telling you all for years that we have a fantastic group of teenagers. Uh, we really, really, uh, they, they were fantastic this week in the way that they dove in uh, and uh, all the things that Sky was saying about uh, his interns. Uh, they have managed to permeate that throughout uh, their friends as well. And it was super, super fun. Uh, to watch. Uh, and thank you to those of you who are older than teenagers who are also here and helping and loving kids this week. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, just a couple of days ago, this space where you are sitting, there's a whole lot of not sitting happening, a whole lot of running around and playing games. And uh, it, was, it was a blast. Absolutely something uh, we are celebrating. Um, and I'm not as mean as Sky, so I won't call her up front. But if you see Jolene later and you know Jolene, make sure you tell her thank you for doing an awesome, awesome job leading that. Uh, okay, apparently I'm not that mean, but Mike is, so he's pointing. Um, uh, we have lots of things to celebrate. We want to share stories uh, this morning of the work that God has been doing in our lives. Some of these stories are recent stories. Some of them are a long time ago. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll tie all these stories together in, in a little bit. Um, but one of the things that uh, I'm celebrating uh, this morning is that uh, uh, Jonathan has been with us all summer. Um, and I'm going to invite him to uh, come up and share uh, what God has been doing in uh, his life so we can celebrate that and be encouraged together. So, Jonathan, come on up. I've already shared my, my testimony with people who get my letters, but um, today I'd just like to do that with all of you. Um, I grew up in this church, uh, so um, I've considered this my home church when I'm in the States for as long as I can remember. I went to Sunday school here. Um, I went to VBS. I um, went to youth group and played with other kids right in the parking lot down there. Um, so I have just a long history of, of, of being here. Um, I also remember like hearing lots of sermons. I remember especially um, one sermon some visiting pastor was coming through and he just talked about uh, like making Jesus Lord and lordship is not optional. Um, I had become a Christian asked Jesus in my heart when I was about six or so, I guess is here. I don't really remember the event. Um, but as I got into my teen years and just heard more people talk about what it means to follow Jesus, uh, I began to realize it's more than just saying a prayer. 
um, it's actually following him. Um, when I was 11, I was baptized. At that time, we had a baptismal tank right in the sanctuary there. Um, and But as I, I began to grow and want, want to follow Jesus more, I was reading in the Bible, like it talks about in John 14, um, if anyone doesn't hate their father, mother, children, wife, brothers, sisters, even their own life, uh, they can't be my disciple, Jesus said. And if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And that really challenged me. Um, another was uh, how baptism is a, a picture of death. You're dying to yourself. And then there was that story of Jesus telling the, the rich young man, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. So it's also like surrender, surrender everything. Um, then in, in John, and also First John, um, it says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And so I realized that, oh, I don't really love God, not like this, because I'm not really willing to obey him with everything. So when we'd sing songs in church about, I love you, Lord, some, I would often change that to, I need you, Lord, um, just kind of quietly so other people wouldn't hear. But I knew I was, I'd be a liar if I was saying, I really love God. Um, that's, I, I still understood the gospel. I knew that to be saved, um, it's all about what Jesus did. I, obeying God, wouldn't, I knew that wouldn't save me, but I also knew that it was more than, um, Jesus was asking more for me, from me. Jesus is the king, and so to accept him, I also needed to make him my king. Um, I wanted that closer relationship with God, but I was also afraid, afraid to surrender, afraid to die to myself. Some things I was afraid of what I knew he was asking me to do, um, go and talk to people and um, confess confess things I'd done to them, ask their forgiveness. I was afraid of that, but I was also afraid of the things he might ask me to do, things I didn't even know. When I read the Bible, like if you read the, the prophets, um, God asked them to do some pretty crazy things, and I didn't even know what God asked, might ask me to do. Um, I had thought that maybe working overseas, that was the best way to to serve God. So I told people that, that I wanted to. And so when I graduated from college, people just expected I'd go to another country. And so I did. Uh, I went to Asia. But I was really running from God. I was more like Jonah. Um, I knew God was asking me to do some things in, in the States, but um, I just went off to Asia. Um, in Asia, uh, I enjoyed it there. I really liked my life, uh, but it was also empty. Uh, I would put myself into into studying language. Um, I got into programming, uh, and so these things they were my idols. I, I liked them more than I liked God. Um, I also uh, was just trying to to please myself. Um, 
my life was empty, so I was looking for meaning and fulfillment. So I would do that. Um, I'd look at immoral things online. I would um, watch lots of movies. I would uh, just eat lots of junk food. Uh, just all these things that I was doing to just find some sort of meaning or find some sort of happiness. But in the end, it was just empty, meaningless. Um, also, I wrestled with doubting God. Like, does God actually exist? Like, I think he does, but I'm not really sure. And that's not something you can really talk about with other church people when you're supposed to be a church person yourself. And so I just kept that inside. Also, I wondered, like, so even if he does exist, there's that whole Calvinism thing and, like, just God predestined everybody. And so even if he exists, like, what if he didn't choose me? And what if everything's predestined and I can't, like, I can't even do anything, so should I even bother trying? Uh, so I wrestled with that, too. Um, later, I, like, through studying microbiology, which I really enjoyed, I, I came to, to believe that, yeah, I believe that God really does exist. Um, and for the Calvinism thing, I figured, well, I just have to live like I do have a choice. I still didn't completely figure that out. Um, and so it wasn't actually until this year for a few different reasons that I don't have time to talk about now that I finally decided, okay, God, I, I finally surrender. I finally uh, repent of living for myself. It was this January. Um, and just since that time, like just I've had, I've seen God work in my life, give me, give me self-control that certainly I don't have myself, um, give me um, just joy in spending time in his word. Like before, like reading the Bible or praying, that was, I did it, but it was boring, but now it actually has meaning. Um, and now, like talking to people about Jesus, oh, I can finally share like what God's actually doing in my life, whereas before it was, I should do this, so I do it. Still today, I have, I'm, I'm learning, like, how do I actually hear from God? Um, because now that I want to follow him, I, I need to know, God, what do I do? So when I repented, I had to actually go back and talk to a lot of people, which was super hard. But that's done now. Now I need to know what's next. And I don't know exactly. Um, for me, I'm staying in Asia, not, not really going somewhere, um, because I was already there. But God, do you have me there a long time? Do you want me back in the States? I, I don't know. Um, anyway, one, I just want to say to any of you who might have been like I was, that it's much better, much better being right with God. And yeah, it's scary sometimes, but... Uh, if God loved you enough to, to send his son to die for you, he's not going to do something with your life that's not for the best anyway. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan, so much. Uh, I, I'm grateful for what God is doing in your life, and I'm, I'm grateful for your uh, willingness to 
uh, to share it with us and bless us with that. So thank you so much. Um, as the uh, pastoral staff talked uh, about today, about the celebration that we're having, um, about uh, the beauty of baptism um, and uh, the stories that lead to moments like this, uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, the people who impacted uh, our lives, and we won't talk about all of them, or uh, well, we'd be here a while. Um, but I uh, do want to just uh, talk about kind of the, uh, I guess you would say, ordinary people who made a significant difference in our lives in, in pointing us uh, toward Jesus. Uh, all of us have people uh, in our lives who, uh, who had day jobs, who had families, who... Um, through significant investment or accidental conversations, uh, made an impact on us and um, on our relationship with Jesus so that um, we could uh, come to a point of saying, okay, uh, I, I want to follow Jesus in some way uh, with, with my, my life. Uh, I, I think we all uh, underestimate the impact that we can have on other people uh, simply by showing up, and we overestimate the qualifications needed to be able to do that. Uh, the scripture is full of people, book after book after book, <laughs> who were very, very underqualified uh, for what God was calling them to do. Um, and sometimes they uh, didn't realize they were underqualified. They thought they could really pull it off. Uh, but more often than not, uh, they, they did the opposite. They, they said, no, no, God, I, I can't. That's not for me. Um, I, don't, I don't have X, Y, Z qualifications to be able to tell people what you want me to tell them. Um, and yet I'm guessing that we, the, we're going to pass the microphone uh, sort of around the, the pastoral staff here this morning, but I'm guessing we could pass a microphone around this space. And uh, given a couple minutes to think about it, we could all find people who, again, had day jobs and families and, and other things that they, quote unquote, dedicated their life to, gave most of their hours to, and yet in dedicating their lives to Jesus and into showing up in his name, they made a difference uh, in, in our lives in significant ways. Uh, I, I think we may talk about a, a few different people or, or one person, whatever, but you're going to get to hear uh, some stories this morning. I, I just want to briefly touch on a couple people in, in my life. Um, I, a person I had not thought about in a long time, honestly, uh, named Gwen Selby. Uh, Gwen sang in the church choir with my parents when I was little, um, and uh, I did not know... Uh, Gwen and Jack very well, but I, I knew my parents did. Um, I will tell you that I did. I, I ended up doing a little bit of uh, research and, and sadly had to do some obituary research. Um, but I realized that I thought of Gwen um, as old and retired. And then I went, I was eight. I should probably make sure. Yeah, she wasn't quite 60. Um, but, uh, but at eight, man, that was, that was old. Anyway, uh, <laughs> So uh, she was um, a, a homemaker who had uh, raised her kids. They were off and gone, um, and she and Jack were engaged in the church. Um, and uh, some of you heard my story last year that uh, my mom uh, struggled with cancer on and off when I was little. 
um, and she passed away when I was nine. Um, and uh, uh, she was at home, my mom was, um, we knew she was dying. Uh, I went to school because at some point, I'm not just gonna sit around for two weeks or three weeks or whatever. Anyway, so I was at school when my mom passed away. Um, and uh, my grandma, uh, my dad's mom, had to come pick me up and take me out of school. Um, and Gwen went with her. And I still remember the back of Gwen's head in front of me. I don't remember anything she said. I don't remember anything she did. I remember that she was there for my grandma. She was there for my parents. And she was there when I needed her to be. And it's amazing the difference that we can make when we simply show up. Uh, when I was in high school, um, I had a come back to Jesus moment and got really involved in our, our youth program. And so there's certainly church staff people and youth volunteers who were impactful in my life. Uh, one of the volunteers was a guy named John who let me uh, play in the youth worship band. Um, even though I had an electric guitar, I didn't know what to do with. I could play like three chords and he was like, that's fine, we'll figure it out. So I'm up there strumming my electric guitar and uh, I, I had no idea what I was doing, but he let me keep coming back. Um, and um, he uh, taught me how to run a soundboard, which I think he decided was probably a better plan than the guitar. And, um, and the church let me show up and uh, do sound for funerals and weddings. And, um, and I was included. And, and I don't remember anything John taught me. I'm sure he said very wonderful things. I remember a couple of things he put us through. What I remember is that he was there and that he welcomed me in and let me be there too. Fast forwarding number of years and uh, as an adult in youth ministry, which um, I don't know at what point I actually became an adult, but I'm not sure I was one yet when I was doing youth ministry, but that's fine. Um, uh, at a, a previous youth ministry, we went to a, uh, a concert, a big deal. And um, one of my favorite bands at the time was there. And I uh, was walking back uh, from this particular show. There were a bunch of different shows going on all over the place. Walking back from this one particular show um, and turned toward to the youth leader next to me and said, isn't that just the greatest worship band ever? And he said, you know, at some point I, I realized that uh, there isn't a whole lot of good done in, in ranking things like that. Like it was, it was good and that's fine. It can just be good. And is an offhanded comment uh, that I'd, I don't even know if they remember, but it made an impact on me because it made me realize that whatever I was, 25, uh, that I had uh, a lot of maturing left to do, one, which I probably should have realized long before that, um, and uh, two, um, that how much time I spent trying to figure out what was favorite and best and not simply appreciating what was good. And when scripture tells us that, that all good things from the God, come from the God who is not uh, shifting or changing is not shifting shadow. That part of that realization for me and that growth for me was going to be recognizing that I could simply appreciate the good. Uh, and that was whatever, 15 years ago now, and I'm still working on that. That it doesn't have to be the best or the greatest. It is God provided and it is good. And whatever the circumstances are, I can recognize uh, the good. People who simply stepped into situations where uh, they did not intend to make an impact on my life in particular at all. They simply were available and God used them. And it is amazing to me what God can do with everyday, ordinary people who show up. 
So like I said, you're going to hear uh, from the rest of the pastoral staff uh, as well, starting with Allie. Come on up, Allie. Good morning. Um, I'm Allie, like Josh said. Uh, my story actually also has to do with someone who's here, and I did ask her permission before I shared this story, but it also happened to be a story from when she was 13. Um, we, as a youth group, prior to pandemic, of course, we were going to a place called Gleanings um, in the summer times as a, a mission trip. Gleanings takes fruit and other food that is deemed not sellable at the grocery store and they process it and dehydrate it, pack it up and typically send it overseas as a food source um, for people who can't otherwise access food. Um, that summer was a tough summer for me. Um, that summer I was being pushed out of a job really abruptly um, through a series of events and I also hate road trips, and Glening's like 10 hours. Anyway, there's for a lot of reasons, I don't know why I was going. Um, <laughs> I did want to go. I wanted, I knew it was physically really difficult. They had been very clear <laughs> with what to expect when we got down there. And so I think it was a way to get some of my feelings out in a very tangible way. Like, let me slam fruit on a conveyor belt. I can do that. Um, and so we went down there, and no one can prepare you. Oh, here's the other reason I wanted to go, and Josh already said it. Every time they came back, the staff could not stop about how cool our teenagers are. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way that I'm going to take you to California. We're going to do very, very difficult manual labor, and you're just going to be like, Shh, all the whole time. So I really wanted to prove them wrong. I probably told you that afterwards. But... um. So we're down there, it is, there's no way to describe how difficult the work is. It is, you're in a fruit processing plant. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't eat peaches, still don't eat peaches. Um, so last day, add to this that when we get there, there's typically, I think they said 100 volunteers, that week there was maybe 35. So we're trying to do, they just basically said, do what you can. You can't do less than no one, so do what you can. Um, one of the groups that was there was four college boys that had decided to spend their spring break processing fruit. Um, so, last day. I think it's our last day in the factory. Not that I was counting minutes, but I was. And we're on a machine that, I'm gonna try and paint this picture for you. First of all, I'm standing on a metal grate that is about 18 inches. So there is not a lot of room this way. You're just standing there. You're four wide with three other people and you're essentially touching elbows with them. Our job is fruit is coming down a conveyor belt and we are turning the fruit so that it's stem side up. There are four rows in front of you to do that. Needless to say, the fourth row is not the row you want to do. Because if anyone's ever done dishes for an extended period of time, it's the dishwashing bend. Like, not a big bend. It's just enough to, like, it kills you. Um, and I had really, really struggled with the physical labor. And I didn't want to admit that it was really hard. And not that I'm any, like, you know 
picture of health and strength. And, but I did not expect it to be as hard as it was. And so we are standing there getting prepared. And one of the preparations before the machine turns on is you decide with your four people which row you're doing. I had already decided there was no way I was doing row four. I was exhausted and I was emotional and I wanted to be home with my family. Um, and I had just been on a roller coaster all week. So we're standing there, me and my partner from East Hills, who's 13, not supposed to be on the trip because you don't go on the trip to you're in high school, but she had a special exception because her mom was with us. Um, but, and the two college boys. And so we say, what rows? And the college guy, who is very tall, and in my mind, like, very fit, which he wasn't. But he says, well, I don't know, but I'm not doing row four. And I said, well, I'm not doing row four. I'm too short. I'm too tired. I'm 20 years older than you. I'm not doing row four. Um, so we get into this little bickering match, and I'm feeling terrible. But I'm also, like, tears are burning how do I tell him that I can't do it? Like I can't, I cannot physically do row four. And I was embarrassed and I was ashamed that I had been acting a little bit not Jesus-like. And um, so as I'm about to just hit, and I should have known to take myself out of the situation because there was no one that was going to tell me I wasn't going to get reprimanded. I wasn't going to get fired or anything. I should have just taken the time. But next to me, my friend Mariah says, I'll do row four. And I was like, you did not just say that. Like, um, but I, and I know that it was literally four words. I'll do row four. Um, but in that moment, I saw Jesus in her because I know that whether she knew it or not, she could feel my frustration and my physical uh, limitations. And I know that now, how could I ever um, think poorly of four college guys that decided to spend their spring break like processing fruit? They could have just picked up litter the whole time, and I still should have been like, that is really cool that you could be doing anything, and you're here at a peach factory. Um, but the way Mariah stepped up and was so selfless and so... Um, it was just, it was a real moment for me where Jesus showed up in her and said, A, reminded me to check my behavior. Um, B, reminded me that there is no age in which Jesus will use you. I mean, it is tiny, tiny, tiny to not tiny. Um, is that the polite way to say old? <laughs> Very old. <laughs> um, but I just, I don't know if she even remembers. I asked her if I could share the story, and she didn't really remember. Um, but it made a huge difference to me, and I've never forgotten it. And I am so thankful that she was on that trip with me, um, that she encouraged me in that moment, that she kind of had Jesus' skin on and reminded me to uh, keep working hard. Uh, shortly after that, I went out to look up a verse, and twice was rerouted to a verse that essentially said, do the job you were put here to do. Stop looking at your neighbors and do what I put you here to do. When I was trying to look up a verse that was in a completely different uh, portion of the Bible. So Jesus also showed up that way, but it started with Mariah at 13 years old. So thank you, Mariah. I think you're incredible. And I hate to say it, our teenagers are 100% that incredible. And if you want to know, 
<laughs> come to gleanings. I promise. You'll find out. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Allie. <laughs> well, my name is Jesse, and uh, when I think... Oh, let me get my notes here. When I think about people who have impacted me in following Jesus, I think back to high school and some of the leaders in the church I grew up in, especially the leaders of our youth ministry. And so to give you a little bit of context, I grew up in eastern Montana in a very small farming community. So think of a town like Winlock, but, uh, but further away from Portland and Seattle, like a lot further from anything like Portland or Seattle, because eastern Montana is very rural. Uh, but my family went to a, a small church, but it had a strong youth ministry. And um, it was just led by volunteers. A farmer and his wife opened their home to us on Sunday evenings to come and hang out and play games. Um, I remember feeling at home there. Uh, there were always a couple of kids from other communities, in fact, that would come and be part of our youth group. And I think that they also felt at home. I think they felt loved there uh, because that's how I felt as well. And this couple really did open their home to us. I mean, we were, we were all over their house. In the summer or when it was nice outside, we were out in the yard on the trampoline. They had a pool table in the basement, or we'd be sitting at their dining room table, laughing, uh, playing games, having conversation. But eventually, we would all gather in the living room in a big circle. And the youth leader who spent his days working long hours on the farm uh, would settle us down, and he would read something to us from a devotional book, or he would share a thought that he had. And I still remember one time we were reading the words of Jesus, where Jesus said if, that the person who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy to serve in the kingdom of God. And our youth leader asked us, a bunch of farm kids, what happens when you're driving a tractor and you're plowing a field and you look behind you? And uh, he explained to us, well, you turn and your shoulders turn the wheel and you end up plowing a crooked line. And as a farm kid, that made a lot of sense to me because I had a lot of experience uh, making crooked lines <laughs> in the field while driving a tractor. <laughs> but I think what was neat was that he didn't spend a lot of time crafting his talk for us or his devotional. Um, I mean, he was a farmer. He had a lot of work to do. I'm sure his farm work kept him very busy. But he created space for us to think about things of God, and he shared with us what God had given him. I also remember feeling treated with respect. Um, I think that was a big deal to me looking back. I never felt like we were a bother to them or that they looked down on us in any way, even though I know I gave them many reasons to do so. Uh, it, when I was a, in high school, I, I acted in some pretty ridiculous ways and was pretty silly sometimes. In fact, my senior year of high school, I went and bought a pair of oven mitts, and during the winter, I wore those as my winter gloves. And the thing that is silly about that is that, at least where I bought the oven mitts, they don't sell them in pairs. And so I had to buy two right-handed gloves, <laughs> which meant that the left one was upside down. And when you're wearing oven mitts as winter gloves and one of them is upside down, it just looks kind of silly. Yeah, that's the ridiculous part. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I gave them more reasons than that to just shake their head uh, at me, but I remember feeling like I was treated like I had value, like I had something to offer. And I think they saw what God was doing in the youth, and I think they looked for ways to encourage that. And so I'm grateful for these folks and others like them in my life who took time to open up their lives to a bunch of youth who were kind of silly sometimes, and they just gave us space to be. 
they pointed us to Jesus, not so much in their fancy words, but in just sharing their lives. And I think that serving Christ and impacting others is often done in very ordinary ways like this. When we're, uh, um, when we're serious about following Jesus in our lives, when we're surrendered to him and pursuing him, and then we are an intentional about looking for ways to share our lives with others and just share what Jesus has given us. I think God uses that to impact others. And sometimes it's very ordinary, but it, it does have an impact. And so that's my memory. Next up, we have Sky. One of the uh, things I promised myself in my 20s was that I would never live in the state of Utah. I grew up in Roseburg, lived in Vancouver, Battleground, um, and Utah is about as opposite as you can get. Uh, I remember going there one time to visit family, because that's where my family originally is, and I asked my parents why they cut down all their trees. That's my first experience with the desert, and that distaste has stayed with me for most of my life. Um, so my extended family still lives in Utah, and so growing up, we'd make frequent trips there. Um, and we went specifically to a little town called Price uh, to visit them. And Price has exactly one thing going for it. Uh, it has a, a prehistoric museum, which is awesome. It has a dinosaur skeleton. That was exciting. Um, but that's, uh, there's actually a second. It has a wave pool. Um, but the older you get, the more uncertain you want to get into that water. <laughs> so really, it just has the, the museum. Um, most people, if they've heard of Price, Utah, it's because it's about exactly halfway between Salt Lake City and Moab, the exciting places in Utah. So it was the uh, greatest of ironies when at 29 years of age, I ended up moving to Price, Utah. So I just returned from Hungary out in Europe where I taught English and, and Price was a bit of a culture shock, but I wasn't ready to go back to the Northwest battleground where I grew up and I could do an, a master's degree anywhere online, and so I decided to stay with family and get to know them a little bit better. And right away, I got plugged into uh, my grandparents' church there, which was where I first got uh, connected with our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And I am on the shyer and more introverted side, but so I would go to all the events, I would show up at church and the things and whatnot, but I kind of just skirted the edges. Um, people talked to me, I would politely answer, but it was really hard for me to engage. Until one fateful day, when someone took notice of me and made the life-changing step of inviting me to a Super Bowl party. Yes, a Super Bowl party changed my life, and how often do you get to hear that? Though, in February, remember that if your spouse is uncertain about whether you should go to one. <laughs> so, the guy who invited me uh, is named Mike, and he is a real estate agent in Price, Utah. Admittedly, he's the best dang real estate agent in central Utah, as he would like you to know. Um, he had a handful, or he has a handful of kids, and at the time, they're all teenagers, and he was incredibly busy, and yet somehow... He is also one of the most hospitable people that you will ever meet. And so having seen me around, lurking around church for a while, he decided that I should come over for this game. And I think Mike has just a passion for the misfits. He's kind of a misfit himself. And somehow I decided that despite being shy and introverted and going over to someone's house with a bunch of strangers was an okay idea. 
And so I went. And that started a friendship that actually has changed my life. We all need community. And I think we realize this. And when we don't have it, we, we talk about that need. But we also need something more than just community. Mike um, is amazing at bringing people together and having fun. Lots of fun. But he's also really good at giving you more than just connecting and having fun. Because he's, he's willing to ask those, those uncomfortable questions, like how you're, you're actually doing, um, how are you living with Jesus, and he will always listen, no matter how long you need to talk, and he'll never shame you. And yet he also isn't afraid to challenge you to live in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. And you know that through that whole process, he is going to live with you through it. And I think that is the community I realized I needed. When I moved to Price, I was at a crucial point in my life. My 20s had seemed like one disappointment after the other. It was one lost opportunity after the other, broken engagement, shattered dreams. And I had given up on a lot of things, things that I had been certain that God was calling me to, like being a youth pastor. And a couple years into our friendship, Mike and I ended up reading this book together called Soul Care, which was by Rob Reamer. And at one point, it talks about the importance of, of confession as this idea of, of finding freedom through being truly known, forgiven, and accepted. And so I gathered my courage and decided that I was going to ask Mike, um, not any of the, the staff at my church that I was a part of, though I was good friends with them, not with any of the Christian leaders or spiritual guides that I was familiar with. I, I asked Mike, and I asked him if I could do what's called a total life confession because I like to be dramatic. And it's, it's essentially going through your life and making sure you don't have any secrets. And then you're asking that person to be Jesus representative for you. And I don't think anyone knows my past like Mike does. And yet he has also become the picture of Jesus, of him sitting there with me, patiently listening, keeping me from going off the deep end, making me laugh, accepting me, forgiving me, and declaring unconditional love, hope, and commitment. And Mike was also one of the people who gave me the courage to follow Jesus wherever he led, uh, even Kelso, Washington. And you'd think that Mike was a pastor, and yet he's just the best dang real estate agent in central Utah from this little town of Price who thought that the misfit should come over for the Super Bowl party. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Uh, the fancy church word for this is discipleship. This is discipleship. This is the mission that Jesus sent us on. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, make is an interesting word because it can feel like it's forcing something. Uh, but make is a creative word. It's an art. <laughs> it's, it's something that you show up for and see what uh, art and beauty is born from the materials you have. We go and make disciples of all nations. Some of us go to Asia. Collectively, we do this together. Whether we're going overseas or as uh, Jill Briscoe says, your mission field is the space between your two feet. Your workplace, your house, your grocery store, your neighborhood, that's your mission field. These are relationships of discipleship. 
of loving people and pointing them toward Jesus. We overemphasize qualifications and we really underestimate what God can do with people who will show up for simple acts of grace and kindness. What opportunities is God giving you in this season, in this area where he has you? What uh, opportunities to simply show up when somebody's grieving or to uh, take the proverbial row four or to welcome somebody over for a Super Bowl party or maybe because this very unintentionally, we did not talk about this, turned into a youth ministry themed event. Uh, talk to Sky. There's some teenagers who really are that awesome and um, could use people who love them. Um, if uh, your brand of service is uh, to kids who are uh, a little younger, talk to Allie um, and she would love to get your help simply showing up and loving the people in front of you. It's amazing the opportunities that God gives us that we don't realize our opportunities. And there is something powerful about simply naming the possibility about recognizing that this moment, this conversation, this situation I'm in could be a discipleship situation. Yes, it could be a Super Bowl party. I've gone to lots of Super Bowl parties that never changed my life. It may be one of those. It may have a story that somebody's talking about years and years later, simply because you were willing to show up, to not disqualify yourself, and to not underestimate what God might do with you and your life and the opportunities he is given you wherever those opportunities might be. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.